At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day Christians around the world remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? He came in riding a donkey to the shouts of kids and adults, widows, young, everybody, the poor and the rich, to Hosanna, come save us now. And he does not save by any worldly measure or standard, but he establishes his kingdom through his sacrifice. Let's not forget that today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, you entered Jerusalem one final time today, 2,000 years ago, so that you can cleanse us from our sins, past, present, and future, so that we could be called your sons and daughters. Jesus, you did this. You did this for us, not because we asked for it, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us more than we could love ourselves. Father, I ask that you reveal today the areas of our lives that we need to give over to you. Help us surrender to your kingship. Let us heed your voice when you call us. God, I want to pray that as we reflect on your sacrifice, our affections can be towards you. Be the object of our worship every day we have breath. Be seated firmly on our hearts so our faith can rest in your resurrection. Allow, allow our lives to be eagerly anticipating your glorious return so that you can continue to shepherd us day in and day out. Help us with our disbelief, our anxiety, our inability to do your will. God, enable our faith to move barriers in our lives that keep us from you. Keep us from the people that you've placed around us. Let your will be done here by your son's holy and powerful name. We pray all these things in Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Let's read it together. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, 
as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was thirst, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Amen. What a powerful vision of final judgment. You see, the last seven weeks, we've been in Matthews chapter 24 and 25, and Jesus has been sharing his prophetic message about the destruction of Jerusalem, the sign of his coming, and the end of the age. And we heard over and over the last seven weeks, stay awake. Do not allow the distractions and noise drown out your faith. Take risks in your faith. See how God multiplies that. But today, he says, let me share with you what final judgment looks like because all those things are going to come to a halt right here. Today, I want to share three truths with you. And those three truths, they're going to help us stay wide awake, take risks, and faithfully await his return. Here's the first truth. Christ will one day gloriously return. Look at verses 31 to 33 again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... You can underline that in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. There it is again, glory. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another. A shepherd separates the sheep from the goat and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You see, Jesus uses this title, son of man. And right, that he does that so that we would all understand that it's not just somebody, it's going to be him who comes back. It's going to be him who comes back. But you know what? He's not just coming back. He's coming back in glory, right? And, and I, I, want, I want to paint this picture because I, I don't know that the words really carry it enough, but the glory that he's talking about is like the glory of a sports team coming back to their city, to the ticker tape parade after winning a championship, except it's going to be more glorious. That glow doesn't fade away into the offseason. This is the type of glory. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back with real glory. And he's bringing an entourage. You see, if it wasn't enough to show you that he came back in glory as a victor, he's coming back with angels. His entourage is a bunch of angels. Not just a bunch of dudes or women, but angels. How powerful is that image? Maybe, maybe that's not obvious enough He says, just wait for it. I'm coming back on a glorious throne that's going to make the iron throne of Westeros look like tin foil. It's not in the Bible. It didn't say that. But that's what he's implying. That's what he's saying right there, right? It's going to be that glorious. You can't miss it. It's going to be that obvious, right? And I mean, if it's that obvious, we, 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 we shouldn't. We shouldn't miss it. Don't worry about whether you'll catch it or not. It'll smack you in the face, right? 
This is what Jesus is saying. And the implication of all that is simple. And it says it in verse 32. States, nations, ethnicities, economies, they're going to be gathered before Jesus. And just as Jesus rode 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday on a donkey to upend what it looks like to be a king in first century Israel, he's going to show us when he returns, it's going to be like a shepherd king. Much different than what we expect, but glorious nonetheless. And what he's going to do is separate the sheep from the goats. Now, this simile is powerful, and it's powerful to the first century listener. But, you know, I know for some of us non-farmers like me, you can't tell the difference between sheep and goat. If you look at a sheep and goat, you can't tell the difference, and that's okay. That's okay, right? They, they look alike. But, you know, I had to do a lot of studying to understand this. But shepherds would herd, co-mingle sheep and goat together, right? They, they had to do it. They had to co-mingle them together. They would herd them out during the day. But when they came in, at night, they had to separate them. And the reason they had to separate them was because if the sheep ended up with the goat or they ended up in the wrong place and slept in the wrong place at the wrong time, they would respectively die. They would lose their herds. Don't know why. I can't keep a cactus alive in my house. So just accept that, right? I did that research. Um, but th- this, is, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to separate people like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. You and I may not be able to separate people, but God, the king, will be able to right? He's going to be able to see. He's going to be able to separate. Look at, he continues in verse 34 because he, does, he continues now. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, he goes from son of man to now he's just a straight up king, capital K. Not just the son of man for those who know to know, but now he's going to say everyone's going to know. Capital K, king. The king is this. This is what he will be doing. Right? And I want you to see this. I want you to hear this because, you know, we think we can earn salvation. We can earn right works and we can earn things into the kingdom. But he says this to the people on the right, right? He says, blessed are you who are going to inherit it. Meaning the people on the right did nothing. They did nothing to get that title. They did nothing. But he calls and he addresses them as heirs. Right? And you need to see this because that's going to shape how you see the rest of this passage. Because he says, you are blessed by my father and you will inherit the kingdom prepared for you, right? Not because you did anything. Not because you did something, because you did nothing. Because, because a scorecard doesn't matter here. A scorecard doesn't matter because if it did, I wouldn't be here. Most of us wouldn't be here. There's not enough right that we could do to correct all our wrongs. It's just impossible. And and he says this, though. He says, because of your faith in Jesus, because you believed in me, that's all. That's all it is. Faith. And and what's interesting here is, if that's the way we read it, we see verses 35 to 45 in a totally different light. Because some people read this and say, well, we have to do all these things. But what Jesus is saying is actually the opposite. It's because you have faith that you're able to do these things. Let, let, let's go to verse 35. I'll show you. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked. And you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You see, the scene that we just read is an adjudication. And if you don't spend enough time watching law and order or in court, an adjudication is this. It's when the evidence is laid before a judge and a judge decides his judgment or her judgment based on that evidence. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. There are evidences of faith. You do nothing to earn your faith. You do nothing to be blessed. But there are clear evidences of what faith looks like once you have it. That's the difference. You see, this is the second truth. Faith without works is worthless. Faith without works is worthless. It's not really faith if you don't live it. It's just head knowledge. It's just information. Guess what? Knowing the name of Jesus isn't faith. Because even the demons in the Bible knew the name of Jesus. Faith is only faith when you live it out. It does something. And the king says the people on the right did something in faith that the people on the left didn't. You see, the six things that Jesus mentions here, and he mentions it four times over and over, right? Feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, taking care of the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting the imprisoned. These are areas that we can practically minister faith by meeting physical needs. These are just physical needs that we can meet for people. That's the most practical application of whether we have faith or not, right? And I think what's more amazing about this passage is not that these people are separated and that they can do these things, but it's how they react to what Jesus lays out as evidence, right? I'm gonna park here for a little second, but here's what is part of that exchange. Both sides ask the same question. When did we see you, Jesus, right? When did we see you, dot, dot, dot? But the people on the right, the people of faith, they didn't question whether they did these things or not. They questioned, well, we wanted to be able to minister to you, Jesus. Right? Look at the wording. When did we actually do this for you? Yes, those things that we did, we did those things. But we didn't do them for you. Now, the people on the left, what they said is, no, they didn't argue whether they did these things or not. They clearly didn't do those things. They're not questioning whether or not they did these things or didn't have any opportunity to do those things. They said, when were we able to do it for you? You see, it's the same question from two different perspectives. We have to see that. We have to understand that because you know what? It might be the same question, but the reason they ask it are two very different questions and two very different reasons. You see, the people on the left, they wanted to only do it for certain types of people when the opportunity was right for the king. But the people on, that's what the people on the left did. The people on the right, they did it. Regardless, it was part of their natural rhythm. They just didn't know that they also were able to do it for the king. Do you see that? 
There's a distinction there, and it's very subtle. But we, we need to understand that faith isn't self-serving because the people on the left thought it was self-serving. They wanted to do it for the king. That was the right opportunity. The people on the right, they just did it. And if they got to help the king, that was great. You, you see, but this is, this is amazing. Jesus identifies with the people in need. That, that's what Jesus is saying. I saw that, and he said, when you serve them, you also serve me. That Jesus is everywhere watching our faith in action or in action. And he uses that as evidence to examine whether we have faith or not. That, that's what's truly amazing here. And I need you to understand that. I need you to see that because this has very practical applications for us. Back in the early 90s, that's when I grew up as a young kid um, in New York City. My parents had a small business, right? And, you know, much like today, there, there was a large recession, except probably worse in the 90s, right? Everything went tumbling down. Um, you know, businesses shuttered and real estate, you know, just plummeted. And so my parents' livelihood, it, it went down the trash, right? Um, and it was like that for months. For months and months and months, there was no money coming in from their business, right? Their customers, well, they lost their job, so they weren't coming back. The contracts that they had with other businesses, well, they shuttered, so there was no one to actually fulfill those contracts, right? And so it just went down, right? Like, and, and so I remember for months, sometimes there, there was no food. There was no food. There was nothing to eat. And, and other times, there was no power. So when the sun went down, well, guess what? The lights were out. We only had the sunlight. And so it was like that. And, and, and I remember, and not, not that it was so horrible or anything, but what I remember is that there was this one day, one day, a neighbor down the hall, down the hall, knocked on our door with an extension cord and said, here you go, and gave my parents a bag of instant noodles. And, and I remember it was just enough for my brother and me, but that's what they did. Right? And come to find out, and this, this is what blows me away every single time I think about it, they didn't know we were going through that. They had just seen that that was the pattern at our house. They were also immigrants. They didn't have the words to ask my parents, how is your business? How are things financially? That wasn't part of their vocabulary. But they saw it, and they did something about it. Years later, my dad told me, well, they, they were Christians. They believed, and they shared out of their nothing. They didn't share because they, it was the right opportunity or because they had the resources. They shared out of their nothing because that's what they were called to do. You see, this is what we're called to do. Right? The simplest way to act in faith is by seeing the people around you and their needs and to meet them. Not when our opportunity is right, not when the timing is right, but as a part of our everyday lives, our regular lives. And that's the real difference between the people on the right and the people on the left. Here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. Our actions reveal our identity. This is what Jesus is saying. What is our faith worth if we're not trying to love somebody the way Jesus loves us? It's not worth anything. And that's the same question that atheists, agnostics, and non-Christians in general ask. They ask, well, if you're a Christian, why doesn't your life reflect it? Why is there a Lord, that same Lord that our Christ Jesus had in your life? And that's the biggest argument of why they find it hard to believe anything Christians say. And I'm going to tell you, folks, 
that can't be us. We can't allow our inaction to dictate our witness. We are called blessed. We will inherit the kingdom of God. There's no doubt about that in faith. Make sure your actions look like that and reflect that. And I can hear the argument grumbling in the back of your heads. In the back of your heads, what you see and what you hear is this. We're in 21st century America. There's a bailout, right? In suburban America, we can rely on the bailout. But guess what? There's regular encounters every single day that no bailout can help, right? And let me help you think creatively. Let me help you think creatively because guess what? We might not see people who are in prison or sick because they go to hospitals or they see therapists and all that, but there are practical needs that we can do, that we can meet, every single one of us, right? And I want you to see this. There's physical needs. That's the simplest one. That's what Jesus talks about in this passage. And then there are emotional needs, and then there are spiritual needs, let me think about those three categories with you for a second, right? And when you think about those three categories, guess what? It's Maslow's hierarchy, right? For, for those of you who know what that is, right? Physical needs, when they're met, then you know what? Emotional needs can be met too. And to find fulfillment, true fulfillment, you have to meet your spiritual needs. And Maslow, the psychologist, says, well, that's, that's how it works. That's how all human life works. And, and guess what? If we look at needs in our lives in just those three categories then meeting the physical needs, that's the easiest, right? It means if you have a job and you have money and if you have time, go do something about someone who has a need. And if you have a need, say something. Say something so somebody can help you, so, so someone can bless you. And, and guess what? I know a lot of us, our biggest problem is not money, right? It's time. Our biggest problem is time. We don't have the time we claim. I'll tell you what, that 8 to 12 hours of beauty sleep you're getting a night is not helping you. Sleep less. We can all make some time, all right? We can all make some time. That, that's the truth, right? Maybe you don't sleep enough because you're playing video games. Well, stop. You're not going to ever be that good anyway. You're never going to be on eSports, all right? But that's simple. It's so simple, right? That's an easy thing. Maybe, maybe it's an emotional need you see and you, you feel from somebody, and I'm not good at this, right? So just be better than me. But you know what? Stop for a second. Listen. Hug. Hug them. Encourage them, right? If you get a high five from me, that, that's the pinnacle of emotional whatever you're going to get from me, right? That, that's it. I know I'm like a little emotionally, it's not all there, but you know what? My wife, when she told me she was pregnant with our firstborn, I gave her a high five. It's like... <laughs> You made it. You made it in life. You're encouraged. Do good, right? I mean, if you do better than that, you will meet emotional needs just beyond the world, right? You just can't understand, all right? Um, and then spiritual needs, spiritual needs. We all in faith are saved by Jesus Christ, right? We, we have salvation. It's, it's here. It's for us. Yet there's so many people, physical needs are met. Emotional needs are met. Spiritual needs, they're sitting, cutting themselves, doubting themselves, not knowing what to do with their lives. Why aren't you sharing the hope that you have? Because guess what? Jesus is not just for you. It's for that person with that spiritual need. Share the good news. Share the hope that you have. And it's not complicated. Why do you believe in Jesus? Well, because he saved me and I didn't do anything to deserve it. Amen. Hallelujah. You should give it a try too. Spiritual need met. It's so easy. 
right? And I can't, I can't hear and can't comprehend when people have excuses. Well, there wasn't the right opportunity to share that, right? If you see that they're spiraling, isn't that the perfect time? Absolutely it is. Absolutely, right? And let me tell you about all this, though. A lot of us, we don't see these three categories because we don't want to leave the safe confines of our comfortable lives and spaces just to look around to see who God placed around you. But that's what Jesus did for us. He left his safe confine of heaven. He left heaven. He left heaven even though he was God to walk amongst us, to experience what it feels like to be tempted by sin, not succumbing to sin, but to understand how those temptations consume our lives. And this is the best part. He understood that. And in empathy, he climbed up on that cross to do something that belonged to us, to take that punishment from us. He met our needs physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's our example. We're blessed heirs of God's kingdom because Jesus It's not just sympathetic that Jesus got onto that cross. He empathized with us. He experienced what we experience. And then he did something about it. Here's the third truth. Your faith determines your destination. Look at verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And I want you to know that this is the last teaching Jesus gives to his disciples before he travels to Jerusalem to take our punishment. But I always wonder, how did the disciples stay so encouraged after he died and after he was resurrected and he didn't come back in their lifetimes? It was because of this. They knew their destination. Jesus says to the people on right, this is your destination. You're blessed. You will inherit the kingdom. There's no question about it. There's no question about it, right? Any delay in Jesus' return, that's for the benefit of people who need to be ministered by us, for us to continue to provide evidence of what we believe and why we believe it. And that's how tomorrow shapes today. Many of you have heard my story. You've heard how I came to know Jesus. I didn't come to know Jesus as a kid, but I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. I heard the gospel. I understood the gospel but I never gave my life to Jesus. I was an atheist still, agnostic at best, right? Agnostic at best. And it wasn't into high school. It wasn't until I was in high school when I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing with people I shouldn't have been with when a friend of mine said, you know what? You're already messing up your life. Ditch school another day. Come with me to Christian club. He didn't tell me we're going to Christian club. He just said, ditch school with me. But what he did was he did what he had to do to get me to a place where I could hear the gospel. He saw the spiritual bankruptcy in my life, and he did something about it. You know, this guy, he he wasn't Christian long before he came and told me and grabbed me and did what he had to do. He wasn't. Maybe a day, maybe two days. He had only been Christian long enough to understand he needed to do something about it. How long have we had faith and sat on the sidelines doing nothing? 
where opportunities come and go and we sit silently. Do not let that be your legacy. Don't. And it was because of that encounter, because he did what he had to do, that I was able to even hear the gospel unfiltered for the first time in my life. To know that Jesus loves me, that I wasn't my own God, that I wasn't the controller of my own destiny, but that Jesus was. Many of us have similar stories. In fact, some of us have been coerced, bribed, right? Told to come today because of that reason. You're nagged maybe. But none of that is important. What's important is this. What do you do with the invitation that Jesus gives? Will you receive him as Lord of your life, as your Savior, so that he can bless you, can inherit the kingdom of God? We do that simply by admitting we need him, that we want him. And maybe, maybe, maybe that, that's something you've already done. Maybe you've placed your faith in Jesus, but question, well, what opportunities do I have? What do I do next? And so this passage will show you, what will you do? And the answer is simple. Go out there and live your faith. Meet needs. Act like you believe your destination is heaven. Not afraid, not confined to the small spaces we want to feel safe. Will you act on your faith? Let's pray. Father, help us recognize your glorious return. Don't allow us to be so numb that we don't recognize you, our Lord, our Savior. I ask that those of us who have never received you, that we can ask you to be the Lord of our life today, right now. God, help those of us who have placed our trust in you to stop squandering opportunities to implement our faith, to do something with it. God, I know I, I have to ask for forgiveness because God, I wasted so many opportunities where you presented people that I can minister to, but I did nothing with them. God, all of us have. All of us have missed opportunities to minister to the very least in our lives. The people who seem to be on the periphery trying to get in that you identify with, God. Forgive us. Forgive us. And God, just help us today from this moment forth to be living life, our lives as your blessed children, to seize every opportunity now in the future to use our faith. God, our faith, we, we don't want that to be empty motions, to be words in a book. We want our faith to be used for your glory. Allow our actions to reflect that truth. Just as you boldly spoke to teach us and boldly took our place on Calvary, help us be that bold. Thank you, Jesus. Come into our hearts today as the true author and finisher of our faith. We pray these things. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.